Welcome, everyone, to the Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for Watchmen on HBO. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. The Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek pulls off our masks for episode 107, an almost religious awe. Pete, as we get ready to start discussing this first turn into the final third of season one, nay, perhaps the only season, who knows, time shall tell, uh, unless of course you exist at all points in time, then you already know, will have known, may have known, etc. Uh, I kind of can't believe how fast the previous six podcasts have gone, how fast these weekly discussions go, and the thought that in gulp two weeks' time, there will be no more Watchmen season one. We stand on the precipice, both fantastic geek and pop culture in general, of a tremendous couple of weeks when you consider that Watchmen, and let's hope it's just a first season, wraps up. Uh, we're smack dab in the middle of podcasting and enjoying every second of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. Oh, yeah, and there is Star Wars Rise of Skywalker that was shown to the cast today. And, of course, they loved it, and we're super excited to get that in. And an entire season, uh, the final season of Marvel Runaways. And throw in a, uh, a Star Trek short trek, which is actually a double because it's the animated variety, uh, that of the Lower Decks show coming uh, sometime in 2020. So, yeah, it's just a absolute banquet buffet right now, and we're super lucky to be podcasting this and having you along for the ride. Yeah, in fact, it's funny. I can think to some unnamed shows that we've podcasted in the past, maybe having multiple shows going at the same time, and there's kind of that, you know, okay, halfway through the marathon, I think I can do this. I think I can keep going. And I feel like there's none of that here. Okay, does it help that maybe we are deeply ensconced in a variety of different shows versus, uh, you know, like, oh, every two days doing a Netflix show or something like that? You know, the variety does help, but, you know, Watchmen, so vibrant, Mandalorian, different offering entirely week after week the discussion is this did not uh you know this was different than my expectations i think the same could be said for watchmen uh these different star trek short treks that are intentionally taking different twists and different turns and just the variety is such a joy to play in even as pete we get ready to you know to dive on into what will surely be uh, at least an hour discussion on this week's watchmen you know probably somewhere in the 75 minute mark something like that and again, with your feedback, your help here. Absolutely, Pete. Celebrating in this season of celebration, uh, this season of gift giving, and the gifts which are uh, reviews sent our way. And we will be picking a winner of uh, somebody who's given us a rating slash review uh, when we podcast on Wednesday, December uh, 18th. So a couple, a couple of uh, weeks away, certainly. And... Um, you know, will it be you? Well, it will be you if you share a review on Apple Podcasts. And uh, do make sure that we uh, know your Apple Podcasts name. You know, send us an email saying, hey, I'm, you know, uh, looking class 421. That way we can uh, say, oh, you're the winner and get you your prize. 
Yes, everybody who leaves a rating and a review for the Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek will be eligible for a special Watchmen prize that will be raffled off. And the winner identified in that Wednesday, December 18th season, let's hope not series, finale uh, podcast. And now it's time to look under the hood of this episode. A VCR whirs with the Watchmen logo as the humble beginnings fleeing persecution in Nazi Germany to New York of John Osterman are played out in black and white footage, archival photos, and old newspaper front pages. The immigrant son of a poor clockmaker was the fulfillment of the American dream. There's a Nova Express cover that reads American Cancer, detailing, again, the events of the graphic novel, something this season of television has done so well to pepper in and, and just make people that already knew about it aware again and those who never had an idea uh, to put it in their minds. And then the footage where Osterman had stepped into an intrinsic field generator to recover his girlfriend's watch but emerged an immortal god impervious to the passage of time. And he helped develop these Manhattan lithium batteries. We see the blue watches, also an engine for the Ford Andromeda 500 in baby blue with his symbol on the license plate. Uh, we are also told about his liberation of Vietnam and just this epic shot. I don't know how many, you know, apocalypse now type shots uh but to have that what i'm assuming is authentic footage now with dr manhattan put in and kind of an extended you know five six second uh shot there of him walking through the the rice paddies and the explosions and whatnot just in the in the underwear <laughs> that's in the underwear. true important uh so anyhow this docu-style presentation that we're seeing wondering was he savior or villain now a 10-hour documentary manhattan an american life uh this of course pete masterful recap under the guise of what's going on what weirdo thing and we're about to find out you know it's vietnam in the past and young angela and all of that but as we've talked about all season, there's this, I'll use the word tension, although I don't think it's a negative thing, but there's this creative tension between what don't you need to tell everybody who's read the graphic novel 10 times? What do you need to tell people who are like, uh, hey, cool, it's the new HBO with like comic book people. I'll check that out. And here you get that, you get that balancing point even down to you know for this great shot of dr manhattan blowing up vietnam you know you don't see his face so there's still some mystery of oh man are they going to do billy crudup are going to do this uh, oh no they actually were just doing a cool newsreel style shot there all of it in service of the whole audience understanding this story the cachet of the hbo sunday night show has pulled people into this property that wouldn't ordinarily have done it. People who had no knowledge of the 2009 film, who have never read the graphic novel, and they're on this ride. Uh, you know, I work with a, a guy and he's, you know, every week he's like, oh my God, you know, this, this great show. 
And I'm like, here, take a copy of the graphic novel. Check it out. My wife's uh, co-worker and her husband are watching it and, and really, really enjoying it. And they, you know, my wife comes home with questions from them that I'm answering and sending back in, you know, but all of this done. Whoa, whoa, this, you need to, if I may interrupt, Pete, you need to have your wife tell her coworkers, um, <laughs> here's the contact stuff for Fantastic Geek. You do not get these discussions for free. You get one question a week as coworkers. Everything else has to go through the shoot and you need to, you need to have clicks. Both husband and wife need to be downloading too. I mean, come on here. It's all good. Uh, but again, as you pointed out, masterfully done here, this Manhattan and American life, a, a 10 hour docu series. We get the reveal that this is on the TV and now we're in the video store with the standee display. There's Vietnamese visible all over the place. So we never have to get the, you know, superimposed Vietnam 1985 or anything like that. We can approximate the time because the viewer gets credit for having a brain. Uh, this revolving display that young Angela is looking at is a treasure trove. We have Trunky, the brave little elephant, special safari edition, Matt. I know you have that. We have the risque porked down on the farm. We have Tusky, which is like Trunky, might be like Sam's Club, Trunky. We have monsters from Outa, space not outer space of course there is a vhs copy of fog dancing silk swingers no doubt connected to the uh legacy of the silk spatters uh the raunchy pistol and of course sister knight the nun with the mother gun um all of this uh, being looked over by young Angela as she prepares to buy or rent a video. Uh, of course, it's going to be the Sister Night one. The camera follows her on some sort of what appears to be initially, you know, again, we're kind of not overfed title cards to say what's going on. Um, but it starts out appearing to be some kind of Dr. Manhattan street party as Living in America plays. We find out, Pete, that this is Victory in Vietnam Day, uh, looking back, celebrating the good old U.S. of A, uh, you know, winning in Vietnam, making it the 51st state uh, as we get the title card and almost religious awe. This in front of uh, and behind the puppet show, Matt, a complete allusion to Dr. Manhattan's line to Lori, um, we're all puppets. I can just see the strings. Uh, we see Angela walking up to her parents, her father and army officer. They say no to her seeing Sister Knight, which is something that the, the clerk in the store had uh, predicted. She has to wait until she grows up. They affirm to her, be scared of the people who wear masks. Uh, this is a case where we as the audience are slightly ahead of things. That is, if you can kind of mentally transposed i'm not saying it's very difficult but i think in the excitement of the moment it might take a little mental breath to say oh wait dad is the grown-up little boy from last week's black and white episode that took yeah. place in old-timey times and what i'm seeing now is in the past but not you know black and white old-timey you know so a little bit of being both overwhelmed and kind of um run faster to keep up that sort of thing but 
we do have the intercutting of last week's, uh, some information from last week. Uh, then young Angela saying it's just pretend. Uh, she's ultimately told, take that video back and then we will get some mooncakes. Yeah, and just to reaffirm what you pointed out, the peppering in of these flashbacks, the, the faster, the better at moments when because of the, the timey wiminess, if that makes sense, Matt, to use the Doctor Whoism of the uh, the nostalgia and taking this medication, which we'll get to in a little bit, that's supposed to remove the memories that have embedded in her cortex. Really, really effective. Um, this Doctor Manhattan celebration there are effigies there are blue string lanterns there are fireworks popping and then there's even a dude carrying lettuce in the crowd so we know something is gonna happen i'll add to it that i think deep in the the creative background uh of this scene is something that really didn't didn't completely pop for me until I read the PDpedia stuff. Uh, there was passing reference in one of those two articles, uh, the, the Mirror Two, uh, offered up this week on PDpedia, that after Vietnam became the 51st state, uh, there was a big African American influx uh, in an attempt to be escaping some of the Nixon era discrimination. Um, a that makes complete and total sense, like just as a cultural albeit fictional, but as a cultural thing that makes complete sense, it then also serves this story, you know, so perfectly that that they zero into that versus just, hey, it was, you know, some African-Americans living in uh, the state of Vietnam or, you know, uh, he's there for the army and, oh, it became a state, but whatever, kind of not completely knitting it together. But what we get here, again, this a scene that's built on the backbone of something that culturally sounds completely plausible. And with all this going on, we have the bicycle bells and then the puppeteer winks at the one boy who comes up on the bicycle, takes a bag um, and where we intercut the memories of the Tulsa massacre and uh, Will's mother and everything that happened there telling, you know, young Will he would be all right going to be right behind him we got to the point of view behind the bicycle as the ringing continues to repeat and then he jumps in the back of an american jeep death to the invaders and the explosion envelops angela's parents and sends her backwards with the video in her hand how did the video survive this <laughs> uh, perhaps the creators flourish i don't know but we get to cut to adult Angela in the here and now falling off the bed. And again, because of this, not just memory trip, but because of the pseudoscience behind it, you know, we get some of these intercuts from last week's episode where other tales would just have to cut to it. Cause they would say, do you remember that guy? We need to show him in a, Hmm, flashback here. It's just, it can kind of statically jump in because it's, the static weird nature that she's going through same thing here it's not just well how do we transition from one scene to the other it's literally we're gonna stop the memory and have her fall out of bed because it's all been a coherent 
through line in terms of what she's experienced. Lady True is there saying that Angela has fallen five times. Uh, Lady True adds that your memory is a bit broken, courtesy of those nostalgia pills. Angela has also asked five times why she's there. She's getting her life saved, courtesy of Agent Blake sending Angela to Lady True. So if nothing else, Pete, some handy exposition and also an ability to say, yeah, we're kind of fast forwarding from last week or from two weeks ago when the pills were taken. It's, you know, these five times. So days have gone by. We're, we're advancing the narrative, even though for Angela, we're not. Well, ding, ding, Matt. We've got a story clock alert. Uh, that we do, uh, particularly once uh, Angela notices the rather thick cord attached to the plug on her wrist. Uh, one of the story clocks is time for the tutorial injection, which, again, Pete, if you're going to need to do exposition, how about have a character say, I do not understand what is going on. I am new to Ghostbusters. Can you tell me how, how the trap works and how the 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 whole system works yes we can oh wait here's a video that we're going to put into your wrist and angela sees this explanation video yeah whoever came up with this faux pharmaceutical idea in the writer's room is a is a genius uh so giving her the tutorial injection and uh you know the woman serenely stating so you've you've taken someone else's nostalgia um, and, and walking through like these pharmaceutical companies, commercials that come on during the, you know, national news, uh, for this product, pneumodialysis, of course, from true pharmaceuticals with the logo there, Matt, that became completely apparent in this episode when you know to look for it is an elephant. Yeah, that was a great catch on your end. And Amidst all the kind of sci-fi flourish and whatnot, we nonetheless have a coherent explanation here. Foreign memories have invaded your brain. They're clogging a higher function. It's like an infestation. Time to remove it. Um, get, uh, have a pleasant return to consciousness. Um, so there is this question as she comes out of the tutorial injection. Who is the natural host that she's connected to? Her assumption, nay, our assumption, Uh Oh my goodness, Pete, are we one with Angela after having spent the last episode in her brain and her consciousness? I don't know. Uh, she's only told that the foreign memories are, are, are leaving her and that she cannot talk to her grandfather. Uh, so what is it that knocked her out of her bed? Uh, what is a vivid Angela memory? She lies and says her 10th birthday party when mom and dad gave her a pony that is, of course, inter of course intercut with her parents' death. Maybe, Pete, this the exception to the rule where the show... The show trusting the audience a teensy bit less just to say, hey, just so you know, her 10th birthday party, she was not given a pony. It's when her parents died. Yeah. Um, and at this point, we get a chime. Uh, we are 12 hours away from the activation of the Millennium Clock and that we need all personnel to report to their assigned stations. This is accompanied with an overhead view and we shift to the exterior where Cal in a blue SUV, Matt, rolls up to Red Scare, who again is eating Cheetos with a fork and Pirate Jenny as they are staking out the place because there is an arrested individual in Angela inside receiving this life-saving treatment. 
Yes, he's told to go home, though. This, another episode where, for much of it, Cal kind of on the periphery, not doing much. Surely not building towards anything. Just kind of like, oh, look, they got the Black Manta guy from from the Aquaman movie to kind of be in the show and be in the background. You know, little did we know, Pete, but we'll get there in due course. Um, Cal continues on to the gate for the, uh, the, the true compound here. The guard gets a telephone call from somewhere else, then asks uh, Cal to step uh, aside. She places a disc on the ground, and Beyond pops up, hollow style. Beyond saying that the timing of his visit couldn't be worse, but Angela's just fine. Uh, luckily, Pete, the cops are going to help him, no doubt, right? Of course they are. <laughs> they tell him to go home and uh, not going to work out there. Um but we shift from that to uh, Agent Blake listening to the recording. So, again, as a way of effortlessly catching us and reminding us of the events of the last episode, uh, Angela talked through those memories. So we have the recording of her that Blake has made. I've joined the enemy the police in this city smother our people, beware the Cyclops, the whole plot with the projectors. And then, of course, the instruction uh, by Will said through Angela to uh, Chief Judd Crawford, you can hang yourself now. So we have that. And then we get a call from Petey. We do. Um, he recaps how he was sent to check on Looking Glass, who I must confess, Pete, I, you know, such was the power of last week's episode. Uh-huh. Sitting down and watching this episode, you know, picking up with Angela stuff and whatnot, I had kind of forgotten he was on the board. A on bunch the of dudes here. walked into his home with shotguns and nobody was like, but, but what happened to Wade last week? That's the power of the story they are telling uh pd though is not in the house he's in the bunker where he has found uh five seventh cavalry dead they all have masks on wait time out for the five do pete i don't mean to dive into theories early but that's completely unresolved for the rest of the episode i think they're saving it for another time uh should agent pd call this in to local pd uh that's pt and pd respectively uh Lori blake says no then just steps away from the walkie pete agent blake here has treated agent pd she's she's used him like a piece of gum and then now just spit him out well hang on she uh wants to know about mirror guy her good friend mirror guy it's strange that he didn't call it in as a cop should he call it in no don't call it in i'll be there as soon as i'm done with my thing here then she hangs up this woman on horseback approaching her it's mrs crawford okay we get the howdy inside you want some tea you want some coffee hey have a seat that'll be important there in a minute and Lori downloads that she knows who killed her husband yeah, in I think a scene that is somewhat surprisingly frank, at least Lori's portion of it, it's about to quickly be just <laughs> surprising. Uh, but I think that we've we know enough about Lori's style to kind of be used to this direct approach here. 
Uh, the whole notion, uh, as told to Jane, that Will Reeves, Angela's grandfather, killed Judd. The reason Judd was killed, uh, Will Reeves was hooded justice. Uh, all of that, the idea of white men in masks are heroes, black men in masks are scary. And just as all of this is getting rolled out rat-a-tat style, um, the speed is intentional because, you know, all of this, you know, was the police chief a white supremacist? What if the 7th Cavalry is Cyclops, you know, 2.0? All of a sudden, Jane says, yes, that was the plan. It was the plan to have Joe Keen uh, use all the masks to become their new racist president <clears throat> but uh we're thinking bigger now says jane oh uh, what says Lori? oh uh, what says everyone watching <laughs> pete i did not think that this kindly lady who you know played uh the mom in titanic and was on an episode of uh deep space nine where she spoke a really far out language that the that the universal translator couldn't translate right away and then there was a great breakthrough with and her and kira hug at the end uh, wait, she's the queen of all the racist podunks? What's going on? Well, apparently she wasn't supposed to confess yet, but Lori just kept going on and on. So she clicks this old-timey remote TV control, this Wilson remote. It won't work. She clicks again, okay? And as only uh, Lori Blake threw Gene Smart here, as only she could deliver with the WTF, we get a couple more clicks. The chair falls some, another click, it goes in all the way. And then uh, Mrs. Crawford picks up the phone. We don't hear who it is on the other end, but we can assume, yeah, Lori Blake just stopped by. You want me to kill her or what? Quick side tangent, Pete. Uh, Francis Fisher appearing in two best picture uh, winning movies and in the span of five years i'd say the 90s were good to her uh but i digress we head back to true industries etc beyond the real one pete not the hollow one is questioning angela about empathy about her secret life uh what if she doesn't want her uh, pardon me if she doesn't want her kids to worry that she's a cop why then be a cop uh, that question sends Angela back on a flashback thread, back to painting little Dr. Manhattans. Nesting uh, um, doll, Dr. Oh. Manhattans, Matt. That wasn't right in front of us at all. <laughs> um, I To the point, Pete, it did not even uh, make its way into my notes on the first, the first pass here. Uh, but as you say, nonetheless, right in front of us. Uh, young Angela gets her ear grabbed and she's taken outside the school. We see it as a school slash home for girls. A little unclear initially as to whether this is police or military, but it's going to land on the side of police in a bit. Officer Jen and Officer Roy are there. Angela's not in trouble. They do have some questions about that puppet show. There was the man in the backpack. He talked to the, the puppeteer. Hey, mask or hood off. Is this the puppeteer? Yes, she's sure. Uh, he's taken for questioning, and she'd like to listen in. Officer Jen says, no thanks. When you grow up, you come see me. And off screen, Pete, Officer Roy uh, shoots the puppeteer in the head. Yeah. Um, they give the badge to uh, young Angela here, and we get the flashback to the pinning of her grandfather's police badge from... Um, Lieutenant Battle in the previous episode, as well as the blood that fell 
onto uh, Judd Crawford's badge in the very first episode. Um, cut to the orphanage at night. Uh, this place got nothing on Annie, Matt. And uh, the repeat of the Beyond line, if you don't want your kids to worry you're a cop, then why are you a cop? We now understand she, she idolizes uh, the police after getting the bad guy what killed her parents. Um, and then uh, the, the flashback to June, prescient later in this episode, you ain't going to get justice with a badge, Will Reeves. You're going to get it with that hood. So Angela places the badge, now a keepsake, under her bed next to the undamaged Sister Night video. That's just the way it is sometimes. Back to uh, Beyond asking what memory did she just experience? Oh, it was one of her own, not of Will. That means that the treatment is working. So, Pete, that a subtle story clock, or maybe not a not a hard ticking story clock, but one that's enough to just kind of say, hey, this is where we're up to with the treatment, where last week we got Will stuff because of the pill overdose. Now we're getting Angela stuff because the Will stuff is being pushed away. Uh, Beyond says, in part, Pete, because Beyond wants me personally to have some of my theories be ballpark correct now and <laughs> now and then, uh, because Alan Moore is writing uh, not just the story of my life, but everyone's life. We're all in Alan's Moore story. We're characters there. Uh, Beyond has crazy dreams sometimes too. Dreams of being an old woman. Uh, what's that been like for Angela? Then we we cut. From Angela's eyes to what I thought was back to an Angela story, but no, Pete, it's some other time, some other place, another world, if I may dark crystal it for a moment. Yeah, this transition uh, from the eyes to the ceiling as a bell clangs, it's Phillips, hear ye, hear ye, so begins day 365. No cake this year, Matt. Of the People versus Adrian Vite, alias Ozymandias, alias Master, and the flourishes within this uh, courtroom, the, the trial of the millennium, if you will. Uh, Twelve clones in the jury. We've got the sketch artist sketching uh, not only uh, Vite, but we have the sketch that is displayed on an easel right out of the graphic novel of the famed and feared uh, interdimensional squid. Uh, and there is Ozymandias in the full-on purple and gold outfit, his hands shackled. He's contemplative. And uh, we rise for his honor, the game warden in the old timey uh, wig complete with the mask. And he asks Madam Prosecutor, that of course a Crookshanks, uh, to make her closing argument. Pete, the fact that this is day 365, not only is that also another bit of a story clock here uh, in an episode largely about a watchmaker, I might add, uh, but it's also the rare feat, Pete, this trial longer than that of the people versus O.J. Simpson. So got to be some sort of grim award there. But back to that Madam Prosecutor. She uh, talks about how all of them there assembled, with the exception, of course, of Master, are born from being pulled uh, from the water. They end up being slaughtered by Vite. 
all in this paradise uh, living under the one rule, thou shalt not leave. Vite has killed here. He's killed costume adventurers back elsewhere. He's killed three million people. Does he show remorse? No. So for years he's killed here. He's given monologues all to escape. However, the rule, thou shalt not leave. The choice is to accept the cruel master or to find him guilty. Yeah, and uh, with that, the prosecution rests the case. Yet, Matt, as she sits back down, she looks over at her master and winks. So clearly there is another level to the legal game being played here. Uh, the uh, game warden, as the judge, points out that Vite has chosen to represent himself, yet over the year that this trial has gone on, that the case has been made against him, he's offered no testimony nor evidence to contradict what the prosecution has said. Uh, there is a skull and crossbones pirate barrel uh, top behind the judge, which is just such a great feature to the richness of this courtroom along with, you know, the mannequin wearing the, uh, the night space suit and the contraptions and everything else. And when he clears his throat, finally, finally, Matt, the people of the court here from Adrian Veidt and he rips this gigantic fart, which then squeaks at the end. Okay. Um, Jeremy Irons just squeezed out an Emmy. Pete, he is one of the few actors, Jeremy Irons is, uh, to have achieved the triple crown of acting, an Oscar, an Emmy, and a Tony. And I dare say on the path for another Tony here. Uh, I will also say, Pete, I a don't Tony? know that... Uh, pardon me. <laughs> Pete, if he wins a Tony <laughs> for this, that's really impressive. Then, <laughs> Pardon me, a, uh, an Emmy... Um, I also have never seen my subtitles ever say flatuates with a squeak. <laughs> um, this might have been the most surprising part of the episode. And this is an episode that ends with a game-changing surprise. Um, but his uh, flatus now expelled Pete. I'll raise the game here a bit, even if Adrian Veidt won't. Uh, he says that <laughs> the defense rests. Um, with that, the game warden speaks about a jury being a panel of a man's peers, but the Crookshanks and Phillipses are not peers. Uh, instead, here will be his bunch of peers. A door is opened to a uh, to a, a lot of pigs. I must confess, Pete, I don't know the I don't know the uh, group noun for uh, you know whole whole mess of pigs, but uh, they come running through, and there's increasing anarchy. And Pete, I think that ties to your notion that there's a weird stagedness to this particularly as the uh the the judge slash game warden picks up a pig uh one tells him by way of the judge looking at the pig and saying tell me what you think uh that that uh vite is guilty they all shout guilty chant guilty guilty um and that's one of the most bizarre scenes i've ever seen on american television it was beautiful, the chanting, the pointing. We close in on Veidt's face and transition back to the A story through the golden statue here in Lady True's Varium beneath the uh, Millennium Clock. Uh, we have a butterfly, this time an orange one. 
um, as Angela follows this rather large and long tube to which she's been connected. There's a green scanner she attempts to use her hand to access. It buzzes, and there's Lady True. Hey, you hungry? Cut to lunch. Lady True is... uh, Including Squid. uh, (laughs) Pete surely won in uh, the 2019 of the World of Watchmen. They're going to have Squid with lunch. Uh, Lady True says that she has a plan to save humanity. It starts in Oklahoma. Great line that surely can't be literally true. Uh, How did Angela get here? References made to Cal's accident, and then they looked to relocate. Uh, Car accident, huh? You know, Lady True digging deep here on this total amnesia. So rare, so odd that he doesn't remember his old life. Uh, Clearly story seeding being done here. Speaking of memories, what old memories is uh, beyond being given to her? Uh, which, Pete, that was my question a few podcasts ago. Thanks, show. Uh, turns out, I, Pete, I hit the target, but I missed the center. They're Beyond's memories. Beyond is a clone of Lady True's mother, uh, where it's kind of like, oh, well, that makes duplicitous sense, but sense nonetheless. Then, Pete, there's the line, Dad will be here too before long. That also is something that's, that gets left and not touched for the rest of the episode. So that's stuck in the old cork board for next episode, I dare say. Or does it? Uh, she's going to turn on her big fancy gizmo so she can save humanity. Of course it sounds ridiculous, Matt, when you say it like that. Uh, so Angela levels with her. Tell me what your clock does. No. And we have the chime now counting down four hours until the Millennium Clock activated. All personnel, please report to the viewing platform. Lady True's invocation is for our ears only. The future thanks you for your service. And then, Matt, you know we're in a bad place where bad things are being done. Where We don't even need the Cyclops eye with Dr. Manhattan's symbol imposed in it, but there's a dude welding. All the baddest baddie groups just stand around and weld with their welding and their sparks evocative of the descent into hell and Satan and bad. Um, but sure and enough, metal Pete, work. <laughs> all that working of the metal. Oh, bad. Uh, Lori is waking up at the 7th Cavalry slash Cyclops warehouse. Pete, the eagle-eyed viewer, will notice that there is true tech about, you know, tech from the true folks. Um, They appear to be building a cage of sorts. Senator Joe saunters on up, glad she broke the case. Uh, He's about to talk through his plan, but Lori interrupts his village monologue. Did Dad say he'd be a racist leader one day, too? She's tired, so she'll ask why she's here and what the cage is for, but for the record, she doesn't care. Joe says, oh, she will care. And then, Pete, we get to the the heart, in some ways, of the episode. Poor old Senator Joe saying, it's tough being a white man in America nowadays. And we're all just so, so broken up for him. Um, To the point, Matt, where he doesn't think he can go on and... He's thinking about maybe trying it as a blue one. Back to true we go 
Angela's walk, uh, watching. Pete, I know you said the invocation. Let's call it what it is. It is True's TED Talk uh, in a world without the internet and probably without TED, but it's her True Talk. Um, talking about where I like True Talk better than, than TED Talk. Ooh, absolutely. What does um, True to the, stand for? We'll, we'll talk about later on. Um, she's talking about where nostalgia went wrong. Users would focus on the trauma of the past with no uh, interest in the future. Kind of some vaguely matrix matrixy. Not that I'm saying the show is pulled from the Matrix, but the the same philosophical nugget that you know we need our pain uh, in order to understand even the good things in our life. Um, all of this is part of the Millennium uh, Clocks Plan Two. Um, with that, we have Angela banging on Pete. Well, my notes say Will's door. Of course, we're about to learn that that's not the case. Uh, smashes open the scanner to find in a lengthy, dramatic reveal that is way more effective than my slight sarcasm might make it sound. Pete, what has been revealed? Well, there's a cage. There's the tomb. And now, Matt, we can talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> uh, indeed. Uh, Pete Damon Lindelof has found yet another show with a weird hatch and a strange creature in it. This one maybe makes a bit more sense, um, but uh, at least it's clear. See, Pete, side note, I think that part of what Damon Lindelof brought to nine episodes of Watchmen was wanting to do the same you know, peaks and valleys that were shown in Lost, knowing that there was simply less time, also knowing that there would be a beginning, middle, and end. So it was like, hey, we're not going to do kind of ambiguous, did you pause it and see the Dharma thing on the shark, and then later in the next season show a room where they might capture sharks to do Dharma tattoos, I guess. Instead, this is just, hey, Angela's got a tube on one end, the elephant has a tube on the other. We might not understand all the science, but we understand the relationship, and we understand as fully as one can what's going on. Uh, which is part of the reason why Pete, when she unplugged, I was saying, no, don't unplug. The elephant <laughs> is helping screen your blood or something. Yes. Disconnected here. The memories flash. The young Angela is now scrubbing the floor. There's uh, the flash and uh, June when she was younger as a journalist uh, at Will's um, cadet graduation and then at dinner with him later on. And she, older June, Grandma June, has now come to take her home. Does this lady always yell at you like that all the time? But they can go now. And then we're in a burgers and borscht. We are. And there's a little bit of exposition here, which I think is well-placed, just kind of you know, hammering home that Grandma is Angela's father's mother. So that kind of, you know, kind of clear uh lineage if not clear chronology from the last two episodes of time hopping and all that uh she had sent her son a letter got it back uh, labeled deceased that's how she kind of unraveled things found out about her son's wife her son's daughter the death of the parents etc angela shares that she wants to be a police officer and that she wants to watch her sister night video uh why you do not want to f with sister night you do not is that your favorite She's not been allowed to watch it because her father told her we need to be scared of people with masks. Again, the smartly placed flashbacks 
And June explains that's because someone in a mask scared him when he was about her age and he never really got over it. Hey, 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 do I have a grandpa? <laughs> Silence. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of movies out here. Why are you carrying that one? <laughs> um, ultimately, the idea that she can watch this movie on grandma's VCR in Tulsa, which is where they're going to head to. And it's kind of like, oh, the whole Annie orphanage bit has been sad to see this kid put through it. We're going to have a little bit more of a positive bounce here. Uh, in a taxi, Angela is packed into the taxi, and they're going to get ready to go to the airport. And just, uh, Pete, no pun intended, it's the best word to use here, is a heartbreaking moment when Grandma falls, and it's clear through what's shown that she's suffered a fatal heart attack. And it's just like, Angela can't catch a break. No wonder she has turned into this you know, terribly abusive alternate persona of Sister Knight later in life, what loss she's been through. I mean, not to editorialize here, I don't know we want to be using abusive Sister Knight. I mean, clearly she is damaged, but to deal with the story at hand right now, foreshadowed for us by the itty-bitty heart attack Grandma June had had, a little while earlier, nothing to worry about now completely as she's putting luggage in the trunk and our heart just breaks for, uh, young Angela, this actress who was in the Shazam movie, uh, earlier on this year and did a tremendous job, just pulls at the heartstrings. One wonders what, uh, happened immediately after to Angela, you know, gets out of this terrible orphanage and back to this um and then intercut with uh well behind we pan up the dr manhattan mural on the wall uh there is graffiti that says murderer in front of him again clad in the undies but also once up to his face someone has graffitied horns onto him before the ringing gets louder and louder and the subject disconnected here, Angela wakes um, and she finds a door and takes an elevator down to level D. And at the very bottom there, the presumed bottom, she fi finds a blue sphere at the end of a dark uh, hallway. Or I guess the hallway is less dark, but the room is very dark. Pete, is it Cerebro? Is this the great <laughs> DC Marvel conjunction? Will we get... You know, the Fox, X-Men, the Marvel Studios, the DC, all under one umbrella. Uh, maybe not. Uh, she walks to it. Um, it's displaying the calls made to Dr. Manhattan from those uh, Lady True phone booths. Uh, Angela zooms in on uh, first Tulsa, then Lori, and seeing Lori's call. Clear Pete that no one knew there was a camera in there. Um but uh, ultimately, Angela is found by Lady True. So many prayers go unanswered. You wouldn't believe what people ask for. Uh, Pete, I do believe that Lady True here is lit in a sinister way, by the way. Uh, and Dr. Manhattan, ignoring them all, uh, Lady True says, after all, he's not even on Mars. Where is he then? Uh, well, we are told that he's right here in Tulsa pretending to be human. And but that wait, was when... he can't do that, Matt, because well, Cal Abar told me, and so did Angela, he can't do that. That was when, Pete, I shook my fist 
at the 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 God who doesn't answer my prayers, which is the God of spoilers. And I said, Pete, you hinted at this without without uh, spoiling for me. You know, it all kind of started to come together here. Um, who put this idea into whose head? Grandpa came to True uh, to help him stop the Seventh Cavalry. Uh, again, kind of rapid exposition here, but not feeling like it. Uh, in less than an hour, Seventh Cavalry is going to capture Doctor Manhattan and destroy him. Then they'll become him. That kind of power in the hands of white supremacists—it's proof that True is saving effing humanity. So all of a sudden, Pete—not just the story clock in terms of four more hours or things like that—but now, in a handful of sentences, the the importance all kind of you know pulled together. Yeah. And the detail that is the elephant in this conversation is, well, wait a minute, Angela, you didn't ask me who he is. I'm going to ask you again why you didn't ask me who that is. And she gets in the elevator. So we know as viewers, there needs to be no denial. She knows. Cut to uh, Pyra Jenny and Red Scare. Red Scare, why? Are you always hungry? Oh, fast metabolism. You better believe we're going to dive into that later um, as he's chowing down yet again. There's an SUV. It's got Angela in it there. Um, Pyra Jenny goes and intercepts her. Uh, Angela wants Red to move so that he doesn't hurt him. But they remind her she's under arrest. She smashes through and at the house we see across the street there are several 7th Cavalry members with the Rorschach masks watching through binoculars. Inside, Cal is passed out after having been reading For Whom the Bell Tolls by Ernest Hemingway. Pete, I think the bell tolls for him. Uh, he's woken by Angela brooding around looking for something. She tells him he's a great husband, an amazing father, and a best friend. She loves him. However, it's time to come out of the tunnel. Uh, thank goodness it wasn't the sun's getting low. Uh, she <laughs> ultimately finds what she's looking for. It's a hammer. He uh, should know, she says. He should know what she's talking about but has forgotten. There was no accident. It was a lie so that they could be together. Uh, all of this so clearly presented in part, as you mentioned earlier, Pete, the lack of a denial a couple scenes ago kind of making it clear where this is less a surprising reveal and more just a surprising last, you know, couple of minutes. Um, he thinks that the drug that she took is messing her up. No, John, she says, you're not yourself. Then, Pete, what did surprise me? She smacks him in the head with a hammer and he falls. Yes, his name is not John. Uh, and from this hole that she has put into the side of his head with a hammer, she pulls out uh, a rather recognizable item that of the leaf, some kind of uh, metal in the shape of Dr. Manhattan's symbol. We see the hydrogen symbol. Yeah, we see the uh, one he respects. We see the blue light up her face. Hey, baby, we're in effing trouble.
Let's open up the crank file to dive into some crackpot theories. Pete, I know we have Dr. Manhattan stuff to go over, but let me take a different path. Pete, where is Looking Glass? Not in this episode. <laughs> so you don't uh, think he's possibly in the van? I'm not necessarily saying even in an aggressive position, but, you know. There were two people in the van. Um, that, I think, is story code for it's not him. Had it just been one Rorschach uh, mask wearing person, then I think you might have had something to point to. I could be completely wrong that he's got a buddy, that it's him and Petey now, okay? Um, but yeah, I did not read that that was him. Uh, however, to greet that with a theory, so Angela very intently tells Cal it's time to come out of the tunnel. This, the verbiage used by uh, Wade at the... Um, the interdimensional anxiety support meeting. So it makes you wonder what the connection is there. That's a really good catch. And I, I suppose it's one of two extremes and probably not something in the middle. Either it's just kind of a writerly flourish, you know, like just, you know, something uh, thematically connecting them or it's a big connection. I kind of have a difficult time wrapping my head around how Wade could be Team Doctor Manhattan and vice versa. So I'll, I'll go with the, the dude writers. who's missing a Rorschach mask. So um, my take on that, Pete, is that Wade has Wade has gone, you know, deep uh, deep undercover here. And though though I agree with you, he's probably not in the van. I think. Meanwhile, back at Rorschach HQ, he's like. Oh, let me help you with that. As he he's really welding. Up the situation. That's, he, that's it. He's the welder. He's oh, Pete. That will upset some of the people <laughs> who watch the Mandalorian and don't like that. So many characters have titles that start with the, the, but oh. I guess that's the, their problem. But uh re real question under the Rorschach mask that he's appropriated. Is he wearing his reflectatine? Um, mm. No, no, he's not. You have to have a reveal where he takes it off and then it's not his actual face, but his mask. You have to do that. Um, <laughs> maybe I, I think it, it might approach parody to be like, you know, underneath the mask is another mask. However, Pete, as you pointed out, we do have nesting dolls, which is, you know, inside the dolls, a doll. So maybe. John Osterman at the beginning name checked. We're rolling out this story. Uh, Lindelof gave an interview that was published right after the episode end and said that, you know, we'd have some explaining to do naturally with the way that it ended. And it would feel uh, silly for all this buildup if Dr. Manhattan never showed up. But this photo of an immigrant child john osterman um seen in the video and then if you look at the coming attraction you look at the preview for next week that child is seen again briefly so it seems there's going to be some further backstory on john osterman well that certainly would be 
fun area to explore. Emphasis on the word explore, given that you know, we kind of got his childhood in passing in the graphic novel, Son of the Watchmaker, etc., to kind of better understand some sort of uh, missing chapter or reinterpreted past that we never quite knew, similar as we did to Hooded Justice. I would certainly, uh, certainly welcome that. However, Pete, back talking about story clocks here, and we, you know, so oftentimes cover the topic I'm about to, to mention here uh, towards the end of a season. Uh, only two episodes left. So, at what point do you start to, you know, round off the the square corners to say, and we are approaching our landing, the end of the season versus, you know, brand new John Osterman past and brand new explanation as to Angela's secret past with Dr. Manhattan and how she met him and brand new reveal of Lady True's plan. Like, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of time. There's two hours, if not a little bit more. I don't know if, you know, 109 is this this supersized episode, but at a certain point, it's going to be less about the new and more about wrapping up what we have. And I think the intertwined nature of the story, they've done such a tremendous job in terms of doing that. You know, I go back to the puppet analogy, uh, the, the puppet show with Dr. Manhattan and, you know, what went on in Vietnam, uh, Dr. Manhattan knowing He's being directed in a certain way in the original narrative, but he can see the strings. And now this cage that the 7th Cavalry has around the teleportation window that they are going to ensnare him um, and how this would seem unavoidable. And to what level is the Millennium Clock, since there is true tech that the 7th Cavalry have, um, is it intertwined? Well, I think that, that that gets to the heart of, you know, whether you want to call it theory stuff or just pleas to the universe for, for answers and predictions regarding next week. This notion of how much is Lady True working with the 7th Cavalry despite her saying otherwise because there's that true tech. And then in my mind, there's also the question of how does one de-Dr. Manhattanify Dr. Manhattan but still make those powers possible to be given to someone else? Like, I, you know, if nothing else, we got at the top of this episode the return of some of that technology, the intrinsic field generator. And I think that that clearly is setting up, you, you know, a, a de-intrinsic field generator, for lack of a better term, uh, that we have been seeing uh be put together but i feel like i'm hazy on i'm clear on the pseudoscience that made dr manhattan i'm currently hazy on how you undo that um but clearly that's where clearly that's where they're headed with some sort of explanation whether it gets put into use uh, or not whether or not the millennium clock is connected with what the seventh cavalry is planning or a way of undoing what they have, uh, planned. We have the, the countdown. We're essentially back to the constraint of the graphic novel. We are, you know, a minute to midnight. We start this episode. It's 12 hours. The last time it was checked for us, it was four hours. That was before, uh, Angela, passed out when she found the elephant it's moments away now at least it would seem 
And now she has cracked open her husband's skull to reveal Dr. Manhattan. And we're told what's going to happen to him. Is it unavoidable or uh, is it uh, something that can be prevented? Well, you know, you remind me that the climax of the graphic novel was not in the final issue. It was in the second to last issue. At the end of that issue, grand reveal of who is the mysterious killer, what is his plan, and, oh, he's going to push the red button, and he says, no, it's been pushed already, you know, boom. You only really see the after effects in the next issue, but to be clear, it, you know, that climax, the big showdown happens in the, at the end of the penultimate episode. I can only imagine that that's what we have in store for next week. I initially was going to say, hey, this kind of sort of reminds me of season two of Fargo, which had the climax in the second to last episode and spent the entire final episode just kind of mopping up uh, in, in a very, very effective way. Don't get me wrong, but the fact that the graphic novel does it too, I feel like next week's episode could be the most important in a lot of ways uh, and with 109 just being that kind of uh, conclusion to it. Well, when you consider, like you said, the two episodes left, uh, the construction of the graphic novel, the, the squid drop, everything there, um, building to this millennium clock activation, this now revealed plot of the seventh cavalry, it makes a lot of sense that they would do that. So you could head into your, uh, resolution. Uh, and then if there's the ability to pivot to a, a second season upon closing that let's again, fingers crossed. But I think it's a situation with, you know, so Craig, uh, Mason, who was the showrunner for Chernobyl, who's a guy who grew up around us in uh, central New Jersey here near the coast. Uh, he hosts the official Watchmen podcast, um, and they're only doing three total episodes with that. Um, but he tweeted out right after the episode ended, you think your mind was blown this week. It's going to be even more blown after the eighth episode. So I definitely think you're on to something, Matt. Uh, I'll just dip briefly into PTpedia this week, uh, one of which is the uh, kind of medical intake form uh, for uh, Calvin Jelani after his uh, injury here. Not a ton of stuff. I mean, found by Officer Abar. I think, you know, it's it's clearly it's clearly from the skewed perspective of Calvin Jelani got an injury, not you know, not the reveal of him as uh as dr manhattan so the name jelani is new to us uh, to my knowledge pete from this uh from this document here uh the name jelani uh means mighty what i feel like was you know was was money left on the table was not doing the deep dive of wikipedia ing or googling uh, Calvin name meeting for all these preceding weeks. Uh, the name Calvin means uh, bald one. So, you know, uh, while it was not this earth-shattering reveal that no one saw coming that Cal was it, particularly with Cal, C-A-L, Cal-L, Superman, Superman, Dr. Manhattan, the fact that this whole time he's had the name 
bald one. And then now we throw in the last name, albeit after the fact, after the episode aired, that he is Mighty Bald One. That's what his name means. Uh, okay, he's Dr. <laughs> Manhattan. It was always interesting and ironically something we never discussed that Cal took Angela's last name. Um, that that was the case because, you know, Marcus Abar, her father, um, and that she retained her name and he took it. So that was always out there. And then you had uh, Lori's personal massager made for her, you know, kind of a gag invention by Dan Dryberg, the Excalibur, you know, uh, Lori's ex, Dr. Manhattan, Cal, Abar, ex, Cal, Abar. I mean, that's, they're, they're playing a game on another level, Matt. And even, and I'm, I'm certainly not disagreeing with any bit of analysis there, even if, one was not going to necessarily connect Lori's ex to Cal Abar. The fact that his name has been Caliber the whole time, you know, which put together could be Caliber of a gun or Excalibur, regardless, you're talking about something exceedingly powerful. Um, Pete, I don't feel, I don't feel like they got one over on us just because this has been part of the discussion in the background for a while now, but it certainly is very, very deeply seated and really, really, as you said, Pete, all these layers, all the, all the, the games that they're playing, it's just fantastic. The lines just come back, you know, rewatching old episodes where Lori has been really fixated on Cal. He's hot. I talk to him. Your husband is hot. By the way, he's hot. I'm drawn to him. Uh, everything there, it's its all been there before. I mean, we've talked about the possibility that he was Dr. Manhattan. We've talked about the possibility that it might have been Topher. But I've been telling old Matt, and he's going to back me up here, I have been telling him for months that the Dr. Manhattan casting and the reveal would ruffle people's feathers. Yeah, and something else we've discussed too was kind of – the shorthand of how can another HBO show do what Westworld did in the first season, which was to hide something so plainly, but also hide enough evidence that on, or particularly visual uh, evidence that, you know, on Reddit, the discussions can be born and then they spill out from there further and further. And I think that Damon Lindelof's tacit response has been, we're not going to hide these details in the visuals. We're going to hide the details in the writing. It's going to be things like characters' names. It's not going to be side-by-side milk-can analysis of labels and does that suggest a different time and kind of the visual things, and not to take away from Westworld at all, particularly Westworld Season 1, but here it's just going to be in the language. And, you know, at no point is there like, here's my card, Cal Avar. Look, there's a sword on there and a hand delivering the sword from out of the water. Like, the, you know, it, it's I, I, again, they're not going for the visual. It's the written. It's the verbal. It's the sound of it. And that works, too. It works exceedingly well, particularly since we're out there looking for this stuff. We will come back to the Dr. Manhattan stuff because there is even more to delve into. But just in terms of where my notes go, the trap door. OK, Uh, as 
uh, a plot device as an actual fixture in the Crawford home. Uh, love that it, it doesn't work and that it's got the old timey remote. Um, initially on first view, I'm watching Lori wake up and I'm like, wait a minute, this, this is beneath the Crawford home. It's not, this is the abandoned, uh, mall. Hence the JC Penny knock, uh, later on. But Matt, a line only, probably put there to address your yes, very concern. Yes. If only, if only there was a character we've only met once who had the ability to slip underground and slip out. They could save old Lori Blake. I'm talking about Loop Man. One of the out, outstanding in a lower case, outstanding, not quite by its amazingness, but uh, you know that it's unresolved. Oh, I disagree. It is, it is a capital O, okay? Loop Man is going to be the savior of the entire series, season, everybody. Okay, move over, Doctor Manhattan. Okay, it's all about Loop Man. Well, Pete, I think you are correct that it wouldn't be the first time that uh, Loop Man has brought an outstanding with a giant O. But I digress. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm giddy at the prospect of that somehow tying back um, because it is an unresolved thing. And if they weren't going to go anywhere with it then they could have just gone back at the end of this season, which was shot, you know, forever ago. This is far from, oh man, people aren't digging um, Nikki and Paolo on Lost. We need to course correct. Like, you know, we're we're six episodes in. We're only getting feedback on the first episode now. What are we going to do? Like, if Lube Man was a thread that you didn't want to follow, and as you're doing your edits and you're like, hey, let's pull in a, let's pull in a, you know, a family or a friend of the show or whatever, to, to see a rough cut and you're like what's up with this guy clearly doing something with this guy who's this guy oh man people miss the point that it's supposed to be something weird and incidental that's when you cut it so pete Lubman may save the day uh still i will just say going back to that trap door i think the notion of you know you know, the widow being the black widow being the, the, the one that's now up to no good. I think that's the initial take. When you start to reflect, what's the likelihood that good old beloved Judd Crawford, you know, do 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 Miami Vice guy, that he was not in on this. You start to just think it through logically and say, wait, Judd Crawford must have known that there was a secret button and that there was a trap door and that so on and so forth i feel like though he is absent from this episode it is his widow june pardon me jane who condemns him further in the eyes of the audience we've never returned to the detail with him i mean it's come back up but it's never been addressed his cocaine use so my mind immediately goes there is that something that's been appropriated for the purposes here, you know, was there a trap door? Was he in the drug trade? Is that his connection to the seventh cavalry? Was he even connected at all? I mean, he had a clan robe in his closet. He says to Will Reeves to hooded justice that it was his legacy, that it, it's his right to do it. But then why did you hide it? Who has a trap door, Matt? Nobody good has a trap door. All right. So Shakespeare's theater had a trap door, but there were reasons for that. 
but quickly back to Lube Man and and through this discussion of the trap door. Sliding on back to Lube Man? Sliding on back, okay? Pirate Jenny asks Red Scare why he's always hungry, and we always see him eating. He eats the lettuce. He eats Cheetos on two occasions with a fork. He's eating sandwiches. He says a fast metabolism. Who else is fast and really thin? Lube Man. Red Scare is Lube Man. So Red Scare is employed to the public as whatever his cover is. Then he's got the secret job of being a masked police officer. Then he's got the double secret job of being Lube Man. And he was the one that identified the lube and this metabolism issue. Matt, he has to eat all the time because otherwise he gets skinny and fits in the silver suit. Wow. That is difficult to argue with. Pete, I don't know if the show has a kind of meta commentary about <laughs> uh, you know, whether you should trust the slippery Russians or not, but um, this is a theory I'm going to hitch my wagon to. Are they now influencing our, uh, our uh, jurisprudence in addition to our elections remains to well, be seen? Insofar as our jurisprudence that we, two Americans, are judging this show uh, on its merits and you know, occasional demerits, uh, then I would say, yes, there is clear evidence of Russian involvement. We get these little nuggets every time the Millennium Clock activation counts down. The most interesting one came at nine hours, that all personnel designated green needed to report to the medical wing for removal of any remaining medical – I'm sorry, metal implants. So this thing's like an MRI machine. There's there's magnetism happening. Um, I think it's one of those things that will – I hope it is one of those things that will make – more sense when it's all revealed in the interim i don't have the capacity to say it's a clock literally but also is it figuratively but they've said it's a clock that now also uses magnets okay magnets that are going to be in proximity to the people that have metal in them and i can't put all that together to some sort of cogent theory who is the angriest woman matt is it roseanne barr Pete, that may be, although I think Roseanne will be uh, happier. I understand she has some some holiday plans with some some like-minded folks. So, uh, yeah, I guess she'll turn that frown upside down. Well, more seriously and more prescient to that, beyond and the essentially a Rorschach test that she administers to Angela trying to figure out – the information for her dissertation on empathy. One of the theories floating around is that the millennium clock, and it's connected in part to last week's PDPedia, that um, the true organization had gifted all the citizens of Tulsa with these special TDs, that there might be some kind of empathy bomb perhaps they're going to when they set the millennium clock off and it all starts in tulsa because it's the place that has this gigantic wound they're going to infect everyone with the empathy they're going to make them feel what it was like to have been victimized in the uh, greenwood massacre now pete refresh my memory uh was it in 
PTpedia or the show where it was said that Lady True had given everybody brand new HD TVs? PTpedia. I know that I have been the frontline defense of PTpedia being canonical, and I, and I think I think it has been. I do hesitate. HBO's putting a show on at nine o'clock next Sunday. Is it going to be required? Required uh, understanding about these HD TV? No, yeah, no. Uh, and that's where you wonder: Does that become a plot point in one of these last two episodes? Quick, beyond activate all of those TVs you and I handed out to every and. Like Lady True's plan parroted back to her, it sounds stupid when you say it that way. Is there an elegant way to do it? I don't know. But again, where we theorize here, potentially crackpot style, it's just another one floating around. Well, does the average audience member need to understand where the TVs came from if we see uh, Lady True saying, three, two, one, fire the green waves and then cut to you know a variety of homes where they're just watching tvs which happen to be hd tvs and green waves come out of them and people's eyes you know uh glow green or you know whatever the mechanism so this is, is batman forever is what you're saying well i mean i mean i'm <laughs> i'm i'm coating the the attack mechanism in a little you know hyperbole here but we don't need to understand the backstory of why everybody has the TVs that they do. We can just see that the TVs do whatever they do. You know, I'm reminded there's a Patrick Stewart line, you know, uh, somebody tries to explain to him how the warp drive works and whatnot. And he says, nonsense, that's not how it works. Here's how it works. I say engage. And then we go to warp. Like that's true too. We know that it works because he says a thing and then they go to light speed Similarly, we don't, you know, the average audience member doesn't need to know how things got there, just that they're there and it's a commonplace thing. And then it does an extraordinary thing that the story requires of it. Officer Jen and the badge and clearly the influence that she had on young Angela telling her to come find her when she grows up. Obviously, we know she becomes a police officer in Saigon. So this may be something we see happen, but it can't be ignored. The hairstyle is so similar to a Lady True. Is this Lady True or is this her mother beyond? Uh, Pete, I know that you, you keep trying to push away old lady mother of lady true i which i guess we can now properly call beyond i'll just say lady true's mother just for the sake of 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 clarity um there's this memory out there that new beyond has of the old woman the the walking so far the feet hurt hurting bleeding whatever it was to me the timeline doesn't um doesn't even up here for officer jen being uh, of a grandmotherly age, I don't even think necessarily because uh, what we're talking 80s relative to 2019. I don't know that it works out for Lady True. I will say this, Pete. You know, fool me once, shame on me, etc. Uh, for the record, the name Jennifer may mean the fair one. Uh, it is a Cornish form, Old English, etc. So 
that we have that for Officer Jen. Uh, I don't need to look up Officer Roy, Roy being Wa in French, King. So I think those are just two names. I don't think that we're going to finally be revealed that Vite, as the golden uh, crowned person, is Officer Roy. But <laughs> you know what? After I got burned a little bit by Cal, we're, we're doing name research for everybody. <laughs> Did Angela ever finally watch Sister Knight? In my headcanon, Matt, she's never seen it. She never got to able to uh, to pop that into a, a VHS player in Tulsa. Um, she just had the cover, and she created the persona for her masked vigilante around it. Uh, I know that the other PTpedia document uh, digs into. It's called the Origin of Sister Knight, and it does attempt to connect. Um, a lot of these dots here it is suggestive that she saw the movie i'll just mention as a side note uh agent pd references ebert's guide to practical film going uh i know ebert solo wrote books i'm sure siskel solo wrote books to me this is just evocative of oh in in this timeline there is no siskel and ebert but i digress um i, I think particularly in the pdpedia document where um he shares some of the uh some of the lyrics from the film um which i will not read because i don't think uh it would be culturally appropriate for me appropriate for me to read some of these um but one can look it up on hbo.com slash pdpedia i think that that's definitely informing the the ethos of uh angela abar's sister knight the eyes that we go into the Vite portion and the trial um, and then out again through the statue. It's never seemed more clear. He is not in space. He is not on a moon in Jupiter. He is inside something. The nesting doll mentality, the motif, if you will, that we've had. Is he actually in the gold statue? Pete, your evidence is so good that it would be folly to disagree with it, but disagree with it, I shall. Wow. Um, just because I feel like I feel like the technology exists to send him to literal space. Now, now that I've built this castle, let me now knock it down a little bit. Maybe I am Dr. Manhattan. Um, He's not on Mars. The increasing craziness of that trial like there is no logical reason why there needed to be a year-long um trial like it just it just stands out like a sore thumb yes it does now advance his own chronology by one year so good on you there show you've done that in in many of the other uh vite installments but the literal descent into madness, like we've seen this orderly society that has weird rules, but real rules that we can understand. And the fact that the judge calls out pigs, which looks like it's this thumbing of the nose, but then it's, you know, tell me pig, tell me pig. And everybody's chanting guilty in a way that does not behoove a court where the court passes judgment or the jury passes judgment. It turns into chaos, perhaps a chaos of the mind. So I'm willing to accept that that's where we might end up. I just don't want to go there yet. It's not that the pigs have suddenly been 
introduced. They've been there all along. We've seen pig carcasses before. Um, yeah, but pig as jury—that's that's new. That's oh, pe- yeah, I get, that's new in Western fiction. I, I dare say. No, oh, well, I mean the idea of, of swine here and the and the misbehavior, a Cretan that they're comparing the smartest man in the world to. Um, but, you know, with his message, save me and the D is visible there. What if it wasn't save me, Dr. Manhattan? What if it was save me daughter? Hmm. So who would this man who in his time on earth, did not show an interest in male nor female in a in a sexual manner. Who would the daughter be? Well, if only he had been smart enough to create cloning or nanotechnology and then had a daughter who is waiting for a uh, father to show up now that she's cloned her mother and given him, given her, her memories. I mean you have to look potentially at Lady True as the offspring of uh, Adrian Veidt. Pete, I'm going to respond to your highbrow theory with a lowbrow <laughs> one, and I want you to know you I'm, not, I'm not <laughs> suggesting this as a joke. I'm suggesting it as in line with the flatus scene. And Pete, I'm not going to use the word, but perhaps the save me D, perhaps the rest of that word will be revealed to be a crude euphemism for <laughs> privates. Um, and, and again, I'm, Which I mean, I've already suggested in a previous podcast. So there you go. Well, uh, life imitating art, imitating life. Who, who watches the watchman? Who writes the writers? So uh, I can't take credit for this, but it's really, really interesting nonetheless. So if you take true and you flip it around, the one that doesn't work as much is the R to a D, but it looks an awful lot like Vite. It does. It just comes with the asterisk that you need to write the R you need to write the R like a backwards D, and you, you make, need to write. You need to make your R look like a D. If only an elephant trunk could be reshaped in such a way. I'm not saying it's impossible, but you know, Pete, I'll repeat something that I had said to you via text. I now share with the world. It's like when the numbers in Lost, you know, there was. I, I remember reading a blog post. Of this guy who was, you know, like pursuing whether it was a bachelor's or, or graduate work in music theory, and it was this nuanced take that, like, the average person couldn't quite follow the technical complexity of how the numbers related to music theory. So, so the person proposes, not, not like as like hanging his hat on it for you know win a million dollars, but. Maybe there's a, uh, a music theory connection here. Then you have the sports person saying, wait a minute, 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. These are all retired Yankee numbers. What does that mean? Well, I'm not entirely sure, but it, look, it is a fact. These are the retired numbers. I mean, is that, you know, is that informing it? And now you look back all these years later and you say, 
No, it was a weird coincidence. Like you, you saw it through the lens of six years of music theory training, but you didn't see the truth. Hey, you saw it through the lens of a of a uh, you know a Yankee fan, but that's that in no way played a role as to where those numbers came from. But hang on, Lindelof, you know it's the only flaw in his game. He is a New York Yankees fan. Yeah, but I mean. Look, that might have informed where random numbers came from, but without any sort of like, and it's connected to the Yankees or to New York or to, you know, uh, there's going to be uh, whatever. There's gonna, there's a character called the Babe who now is in charge and you know, this is the best ever. You know, there kind of there was no textual transference there. So I hesitate with this true to vite thing. You know, it could be, you know, again, I'll return to Westworld. It could be, oh, no, guys, the second episode just got done airing. It got done airing 45 minutes ago. There's some nutball on Reddit who just cracked the whole thing for the remaining eight episodes. Red alert. Did we do a bad job? Is this going to go viral? Is this is, is this show going to be spoiled? I, I don't know what to do. There's then the other end of the spectrum, which is, hey, guys, you want to hear something weird? Somebody wrote the name True, which is a name that we picked based on, and Pete, uh, you were the one that brought this to my attention, so feel free to clarify here. Like, the real Lady True was a 11th century Vietnamese. 3rd century. 3rd century Vietnamese Joan of Arc leader. Like, hey, we have a Vietnamese character. Who are some really awesome Vietnamese women from history? Well, let's go with this. That's great. Oh, it also sounds like True, you know. Truth. With a, yeah, with that a, definitely pokes a hole in this ability to flip it around. And again, it's circumstantial and highly subjective, but I thought super interesting nonetheless. What is microfusion spacecraft, Matt, and why is that the detail that sticks out the most in the true talk? Well, spacecraft, obviously craft flying in space, microfusion, I would imagine that they are they would have fusion generators or fusion engines. So either the engines are small or the energy output of a microfusion uh, generator would be small output. Uh, so maybe it's either small engine go fast into space because Pete, she's been in space like the icy moon of Io or Europa, and the show once again is going to vindicate me in the true, the lady true sphere of the story. Uh, or it's slower space travel, but cheaper, smaller engines that can maybe get people off this planet before it risks blowing itself up again, because that's a possibility too. If the 7th Cavalry somehow gets Dr. Manhattan powers, they're not going to stop at, you know, uh, they're not going to stop at just getting rid of, you know, people of African descent or Asian descent or whatever. It's going to be full on, you know, they kill everybody because they're jackasses. I mean, within that idea wouldn't it be the most enlightening thing that gaining those powers of a god with that super subjective, well, these people are unfit, those people are unfit, to realize either A, all people are unfit, or B, more likely, the absolute silliness of calling other people out for their unfitness. I can't quite 
imagine that next week's episode is going to give such power to the 7th Cavalry, even though we can now reassess this, you know, oh, it's a bunch of like local rednecks and we're, we're going to split the split the club in two so we can, you know, uh, make sure they don't do much damage. You know, now they can be recast as, no, this is a direct descendant of domestic terrorist operations shown in the 1930s in this show, tracing back farther to the Ku Klux Klan's creation in the 1870s. Um, to hand them such victory, as I said, is almost impossible. I imagine, Pete, that there were people at the end of issue, um, let's see, the comic book ran 12 issues, right? There were people yep. at the end of issue 10 saying, oh man, did you read issue 10? Yes, I read issue 10. I can't imagine that whatever this terrible thing is that's going to be like the worst thing ever, it's not like they're going to kill millions of people, right? That's just impossible. This is a comic book, right? Oh, yeah, it's impossible. So that's why I keep saying almost, because could they do it? Could this season end with, you know, and the only life left is life on Mars for whoever the people who are who left on the fusion thing, or now they're headed to icy Europa, and it's the last vestiges of humanity, and guess what, you know, Pete, we had the word F a lot in this episode. We effed ourselves. Earth is over for forever. The end. It's fight and the clones, the last vestige of humanity. That it's in the future. And I'll say this, Pete. I'll tread a little lightly here. In this day and age, could the show say, you know, hey, congrats, everybody. The last vestige of humanity. It's going to be this blonde idiot by himself. (laughs) Everything else got blown up. Like, I'm not saying that. Smartest man in the world, Matt. Smartest man on two worlds now. Everybody's dead in the one. (laughs) He's the only one in the other, the only real man. You know, he's not some bog baby, you know, and all that. I, I, I say that not to, not for me to ruffle other people's feathers, but to just point out the show has an agenda. The show has a, racial agenda the show has a gender agenda show has a political agenda the show has a an agenda to talk about 2019 in our world using weird wacky retellings mixings you know extreme things but you still walk away saying this is a show that's about race and gender and ethnicity and america and our problems and how we solve them and I'm reminded, and Pete, I can never remember the name of the episode. Star Trek season three, black on half one, half on one side of the face, Let white this on the be other. Your last battlefield. You know what's the con- great Starfleet that week after week is like? You know what we did do the right thing, including the other episode where we kind of went to space Vietnam and kind of solved Vietnam. Um, what's the conclusion of that? These two guys are going back to their planet. They're just going to fight each other until they die. Everyone there is dead. Sorry, can't save everyone. So this show could reach the same conclusion too. Hey, you want to stay on the same path that you're on? Everyone's effed. Let's hope that it doesn't come down to that. We round back with where we began here with the big reveal, obviously. Uh, Earlier in the episode when Lady True is pushing the buttons here for Angela – The detail about the total amnesia. It's now a car accident. What had only been an accident before. 
makes it sound like a soap opera. Um, and then when you consider that Cal, who likes literature, he's read things fall apart before, and now he's fallen asleep reading for whom the bell tolls, if only there isn't a chime that's indicating he is the one for whom the millennium clock rings. Yeah, I mean, I marvel at the construction of this show. I don't want to throw rocks, Pete, on this our uh, this one of our first podcasts for uh, the month of December. Indeed, our first podcast for the month of December. Uh, the first month that, meanwhile, over at the the other competition, Jeff Loeb reportedly now, you know, officially as of this month, no longer working for Marvel TV. You think of some of the levels of complexity of Marvel Netflix, or lack thereof, and you look at what's going on here with, you know, this is why you convene a writer's room for 150 days before you submit a pilot script, presumably a pilot script that came with, you know, lengthy outlines for the whole series, so on and so forth. The degree to which this is constructed, perhaps Pete like a watch, I mean, it's just insane, and it makes some of the the other shows in this comic book genre pale by comparison, which is the highest of praise because Watchmen, with a, a couple other possible contenders, but Watchmen all but unquestionably is the crown jewel of all graphic novels for the very same reason. It's extreme complexity and the amount of time that was put into pre-planning to making changes as needed, delaying an issue if you needed to get the art just right, you know, talking about using tertiary colors as your color palette, all of that to make this thing that transcends. I'm picking up some psychic transmissions from our audience. Pete, starting as we always do with Twitter, uh, people's thoughts, one star trapdoor, 0%, two stars, 10th birthday, 0%. Uh, let me pause, Pete, and say, you know, usually the people who vote one star, it's like they're, unless it's an episode that stinks, not that of Watchmen, you know, like, okay, sometimes there's a weaker shield entry or something like that. Okay, you might upset by it or annoyed or they killed off my character usually when people vote one star it's like oh i heard about the politics of this show or oh brie larson upset me so i need to vote one star for something i haven't seen it'll be interesting to see if next week's poll you know some of the some of the backlash um from the wrong quarters uh you know does that bring down these scores we'll see but three stars elephant question mark question mark question mark 13 percent, and then four stars bell tolls for you 87 percent. a couple of replies here james it's at big killin it's still getting better which he's right pete it is still getting better mm -hmm. still so many questions these women are incredible this story is unbelievably creative uh, and then another reply here from uh, at Ben Rivers 23, who has the name Squid Pro Quo. Your <laughs> poll has too many, uh, has too few stars. 12 stars look upon our wonders and not despair. Wow. Pete, what do you have from Apple Podcasts? Two reviews, Matt, which are now in the running for our Watchmen themed prize and raffle at the end of our 
season uh, ending podcast on uh, December 18th. The first from Lady Foe. Uh, the headline is Watchmen, five stars, and it reads simply superb information and delivery. The next from Alan the Bright Posey. The headline is high level, five stars, and it reads Love Pete's and the other guys breakdown slash analysis of Watchmen and Mando referencing the Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek. I know this is coming off dry, but these guys are the truth. Love the pods. So on the behalf of Pete and the other guy, thank you, Alan the Bright Posey. Pete, I will be your wingman any day. Well, Pete, wouldn't be a mailbag segment if we didn't hear from uh, our our busy listener, 7th Cavill Steve, who says as follows. Dear Pete and Matt, and I mostly mean Pete, hey from the road, been clocking hundreds of miles every day since your last pod. Side note, Pete, our last pod was Wednesday. Dude's working hard this holiday yeah. season, including presumably Thursday and Black Friday, you know, Thanksgiving Thursday and Black Friday. Who's he haul um, for? Do we know? Um, I think he had referenced Big Blue or something like that. That okay. I think was a, a like an insider term for uh, a Walton owned. Uh, uh, all right, it's score. Cool. You know. Maybe we can't talk about it. Yeah. Um, but um, back to his words. Last week, you I guess this is the you, Pete. Last week, you asked how I could be so upset by this show. This week is proof. Now they're handing out the doubling up of cherished comic book heroes to these actors. This Abdul Mahin and Gemma Chan doubling up on roles. Have they ever done this with white actors? No, I think not. That from 7th Cavill Steve. Steve, we are going to have to agree to disagree here in these disagreement-filled times. Um, Everything done in... This episode and this series thus far has been completely earned. The decision to uh, have Dr. Manhattan inside of Cal Abar and Angela be in on it um, requires some explanation. I'm not going to deny that at all. And we know from the showrunner, Damon Lindelof, that is coming. But uh, to make it a black-white thing or a people of color versus white people thing is really uncalled for. I think, too, Pete, here he's referring to uh, actor Yahya Abdul-Mahin II, uh, who has played Black Manta, as mentioned before, now playing Cal in this. Uh, also, Gemma Chan, who had a, a supporting role in um, Captain Marvel, now playing a larger role, presumed larger role, in uh the eternals so i think that's what he's referring to in terms of you know how i guess the perspective of they are getting extra roles in the comic book genre and and that's not afforded to that's not afforded to other in in his words white actors in comic book movies so what's your take pete well I'm going to point out two white dudes, Matt. I mean, Ryan Reynolds and Ben Affleck. They've not doubled down on uh, comic roles. Uh, one could can argue we, can Ryan we, Reynolds. Can we, throw, uh, can we throw Chris Evans in there as well? Uh, we absolutely could. 
<laughs> we absolutely could, yes. Um, I would even argue Ryan Reynolds tripled up because his X-Men, you know, his X-Men Deadpool was not really Deadpool. Then there was real Deadpool and in the interim Green Lantern, uh, Ben Affleck, of course, Daredevil and Batman. Um, and then, uh, then the example you just gave. So I think this is a thing that happens periodically. Uh, maybe it's a bit of a stretch. I mean, I'll just throw in there too. So what um, you're saying is the talented actors and actresses get roles in the same comic universe sometimes and with good reason, regardless of color. Uh, that does seem to be the case in that we oh, thought of right. I, three I white thought, actors. I thought Steve was trying to agendize this and, you know, like the people that stand outside the Greenwood uh, Center and say that black people who have been persecuted are getting preferential treatment. I mean, Steve, again, you know, I respect you for uh, watching the show and listening, but I think you're completely missing the point. So, Pete, some some disharmony here, but let's try and bring it back to perhaps a positive point. The fact that there is this level of dialogue going over a show where all due respect to the vast majority of the MCU and in my humble view, and I'm not trying to throw rocks here, my humble view, much of the, uh, the, you know, DC hourverse stuff, these are not discussions going on in those shows by and large. Some of the best agents of shield episodes, the exception, um, race, gender, different perspectives on who's the hero, who's the villain, things like that in a really substantial and important way, not just, you know, hey, he wanted to help the bad guy, so that makes him good, or is it bad? This is a show operating on a whole other level, and the fact that there's this variety of perspectives that are tuning in week after week, I think that that really speaks to the very, very high credit uh, and quality that the show uh, gets and gives. And able to help us podcast this endeavor are the people of patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Yes. Keeping us afloat. Pete, I won't get into the technical details, but we have like plan a plan B in order to physically fit what we have planned for the month of December. And none of it surprising and new dear listeners, just, you know, short treks, run runaways, Mandalorian Watchmen, uh, wrapping up those seasons, etc. And, you know, it's going to be tight. Uh, and the, the help that is given is appreciated now more than ever, just as we work through some of these boring technical things that, you know, on the one hand, get in the way of having just a creative conversation, but also make it possible in terms of getting it from this Skype call out to, you know, uh, a number with a satisfying number of zeros after it of people who listen. So our vast appreciation to those who have gone to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and our vast appreciation for those who would consider to help out with these basic costs at the ever growing podcast family of a family of podcasts, I should say, uh, all, all create in terms of cost and whatnot. So thank you one and all. 
everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels, but only takes a dollar a month to get you in that door. A mere quarter a week for the opportunity and the satisfaction that you're helping out can't contribute just now that's fine you can always get yourself over to apple Podcasts. leave us a rating takes seconds leave us a review takes a little bit longer you'll be entered in that raffle for our final uh episode of watchmen let's hope for season one on december 18th so many goodies there so many greater goodies planned for 2020 but with what is left of 2019 pete how can people be in touch with you to talk about watchmen to make predictions on what we are kind of pinning our our hearts on as the climax of the season you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 10,912 followers can't be wrong and while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek. All one word with the P with the H. Like it today. For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be going uh, to a galaxy far, far away this Saturday, the 7th to talk uh, Mandalorian episode 105. If you're here for The Watchmen, we'll, we will be back next Wednesday to talk the penultimate episode of this season series, perhaps. Until then, Pete, the time has come now to end things, so I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. The future thanks you for your service. <laughs> <laughs>